Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Driving to the Basket. I am Mike. I'm here with Tommy. This is going to be a draft review episode. So we are three days past the NBA draft, the first draft of the Pistons uh, supposed rebuild. Uh, free agency began yesterday. A lot happens. We're not going to talk about that today. We're just going to leave a little time for the dust to settle, so to speak. Uh, also, that would make this an exceedingly long episode. Uh, no real call for that either. So we're just going to leave that uh, for the successive episode. So tonight, we are just going to talk about what the Pistons did at the draft, our thoughts on it. Uh, so as, uh, as as you all know, I imagine anybody who, uh, who uh, watched or has been keeping track of what the Pistons have been doing, uh, Pistons started the draft with just the number seven pick, ended it with number seven, number 16, number 19, and number 38. So this came of a series of trades. Uh, just a disclaimer on this draft. So uh, as many have said, this was a relatively weak draft. Uh, it was a weak draft uh, in a couple of ways. Number one, there was no real, you know, surefire star talent. Uh, like, for example, the draft uh, in 2019 when you had Zion, of course, and, and John Morant, for example. Uh, there was none of that in this draft. There was nobody you could look at and say, man, this guy's going to be a star. Uh, also, as you got into the double digits and picks, uh, the amount of high ceiling talent, uh, there just really wasn't much. Uh, basically, this is unlikely to be a difference maker draft for the Pistons. Uh, I would personally be surprised if any of the four guys the Pistons drafted uh, were to really develop into star caliber talent. Killian Hayes, as I've said on previous episodes, I think he could be, if everything came together, like the you know low end of the top 10 point guards uh, in the NBA, which is nice, but really not, not star caliber. So uh, in any event, just something to know about this draft. Uh, so as far as the trades went, uh, the first was the first one, you know, first, uh, trade to show up was Bruce Brown, uh, who was traded to the Brooklyn Nets for, uh, Toronto's 2021 second round draft pick, uh, Musa, who is a, uh, geez, Tommy, what's his first name? I forgot. <laughs> uh, John and John Musa. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, everybody. I uh, just realized I started the episode without having that written down. Uh, so you got uh, him. He's kind of he's a very tall shooting guard who's been kind of a disappointment so far. Uh, guy who <laughs> doesn't lack for confidence to a fault. Uh, has has some potential as a as a uh, you know as a good three point shooter. Did well in the G League, but of course we know that doesn't necessarily mean anything uh, because there's plenty of guys who don't make the NBA light up the G League. So uh, it was him, uh, Jalen Hands, who was, I believe, the 58th pick last year, or 56th, and some cash. Uh, unclear as to what the future of Jalen Hands will be. Uh, it's either a two-way or it'll be waived, probably the latter. Uh, the Pistons don't really need a fifth point guard in the system, and uh, you know the guy doesn't really have a ton of upside. Hasn't played a minute in the NBA. Uh, you know, I didn't play a minute in the NBA in his rookie season. Uh, the Pistons sold a a pick, uh, the Lakers 2021 second round pick to Houston for cash. Uh, the Lakers 2021 pick will almost certainly be uh, the late, late second round, of course, because uh, the Lakers project to be uh, an excellent team next year, just like, they, just like they were in this, in this past season when they won the championship. Uh, so moving on the number 16, uh, started out as uh, a salary dump of Trevor Ariza from the Rockets to the Pistons, uh, in which the Pistons got the 16th pick and sent over a very heavily protected uh, future first-round pick. Uh, it was originally a top 16 protected for the next four years, top 10 protected for uh, the next two years after that, I believe, and 
uh, then I, I think top four protected for a couple of years before it's uh, it turned into just a couple of second round picks. And uh, that eventually evolved as a result of the uh, sign and trade of Christian Wood to Houston, uh, which increased the protections even further on that first round pick so that it is super unlikely to convey, uh, at least as a first round pick. Uh, and the Pistons received an unspecified future second round pick from the Rockets. Second round picks really just fly around. Uh, it's often, <laughs> unless they tell you exactly, you know, unless the people who are voting in the trade tell you exactly what they are. Uh, it's it's tough to know exactly who's, you know, whose pick you're getting. So, uh, yeah, and of course, this means Christian Wood of the Rockets. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that more in the, in the free agency episode. As far as Ariza coming to Detroit... Uh, that was, you know, just a, a case in which, yeah, it's nice to have cap space so you can have uh, unwanted contracts dumped on you in exchange for assets. He uh, was traded last night uh, to, uh, you know, in a trade. Jeez, uh, he's been traded three times, like in the last four days. I don't exactly know where he is now, but it, it's completely irrelevant for purposes of the Pistons. And then for the number 19 pick, the Pistons sent over uh, Luke Kennard. And this is very surprising. Four second round draft picks, uh, and three of those would, would belong straight to Detroit. These were not kind of like uh, the sort of very dubious, super super late second round picks. Uh, you never know what these could be. So Detroit's twenty twenty four, twenty twenty five, and twenty twenty six, as well as Portland's, I believe twenty twenty one. Went over to the Clippers. Uh, this I don't understand because oh, and, and the Pistons got Rodney Magruder as well. We'll talk about that in a bit. So the Pistons. Uh, ostensibly gave over the best player in that trade. Uh, Landry Shamit also went from the Clippers to the to the Nets, but the, the, the Clippers ostensibly got the best player. And the Pistons nonetheless sent over four first-round picks, uh, second-round picks, rather, and you can say that second-round picks aren't huge, but that's, you know, they're significant. You never know who you're going to hit. Uh, second-round picks have flexible contracts, and uh, they're also, you know, they're good for trades. So that, that was surprising. Uh, the only thing I can could possibly conceive of is that he... There must be severe concerns over his knees. Yeah. Do you have any other theories, Tommy, as to why we would send over four second-round picks in that trade? I really don't. Uh, I, I agree with you. They have very very scarce value. Like You, you don't know if you're going to get even a rotation player out of them, but at that volume, it's really more about you know maybe you hit somebody. Yeah. Uh, it's just the, the only thing I can, I can think of is that either Weaver got really desperate – uh, Troy Weaver, the Pistons general manager, either got really desperate to make that trade. And I, I agree fully. I've said it in the past that that can, it was the best for the Pistons if Kennard was gone. You don't want to have to extend a guy does not fit the timeline of what at that point we thought would just be like a typical several year rebuild. And uh, there were concerns about his, his knees. He has bilateral knee tendonitis. He has missed a significant time in two of his first three seasons with that. And tendonitis is an overuse injury. It only will get worse if you continue to to, to do basketball stuff on it. So that's a little dangerous. So if the Clippers really felt like, you know, eh, we really, really like Shamit, and by all accounts, they love Landry Shamit, and, and they thought, eh, well, we, we really like Shamit, and, and, but we'd be willing to make this trade to get, you know, what Kennard provides, which is a lot more uh, secondary playmaking. Uh, but we're really concerned about his health. And, you know, the, the Clippers, of course, had really depleted their, uh, their, stockpile future draft picks uh, over over the last year well last year and a half you know uh 
<laughs> the off season, the 2019 off season was a year and a half ago. So, the, you know, that, that's really the only scenario I can think of because, you know, there's, I, I just don't see any other way, you know, any other reason why the Pistons would even given up one second round draft pick, let alone four. So that was a bit of a strange trade. Uh, my opinion, I imagine we'll find out more about that. So we'll get more, uh, some light will be shed upon it uh, in the near future. So in any event, yep, brought uh, Rodney Magruder back in the trade as well. Not a player on whom the Pistons, I'm sure, were interested for what he can actually provide. So uh, the players themselves, uh, it's it's worth noting uh, just the overall qualities of, of the three players the Pistons selected in the first round uh, were really just high character uh, hardworking uh, players who uh, to play tough defense. Uh, that's that's just worth seeing. And uh, you know, while you could make the arguments that that Weaver, especially in the case of one of these picks, went a little bit overboard, possibly, and just looking too much to character, I've got to say it is nice after the sort of dark era the Pistons went through under Van Gundy and a couple of years afterward, in which we were still stuck with that roster. When you had Andre Drummond, for example, who was the precise opposite. Uh, not a team player, not a high character guy, not a high motor. And, and like the, the earlier Van Gundy years when you had right, you know, early on Reggie Jackson, who was just super selfish and, and egotistical and whatnot. And, uh, you know, he, he, he grew up into, into a good teammate over time, but so that much is refreshing. Uh, so let's get to the picks. The four picks we got Killian Hayes, of course, at number seven. Uh, you got Isaiah Stewart at 16, Sadiq Bay at 19 and seven Lee at 38. So we've talked a lot about Killian Hayes, uh, you know, over the last, uh, you know, throughout our draft previews. And uh, I, I, don't, I don't think he really needs to be revisited here. You know, just a, a quick summary. Uh, he's a uh, point guard, of course. Uh, he's got good size, good length. Uh, he's got great basketball IQ. Uh, he's a really good passer. And, uh, you know, he has, if he has, if he puts all of his skills together, uh, which include a lot of potential as a shooter, then I, I think, like I said, he can be in the bottom half of the top 10 in terms of point guards. As weaknesses right now, he's not the most athletic player. He is uh, not the greatest shooter at the moment. He needs to work on that, though I think he has potential. And uh, when last we heard, he was very, very left-hand dominant, though according to him, he has fixed that. So uh, it's a pick I like, and uh, you know we'll see how it goes. Uh, next at number 16 was Isaiah Stewart. Uh, Tommy, what do you feel about that pick? I thought it was a little bit of a reach. Um, but again, it fits, it fits Weaver's archetype of bringing in these high energy, uh, high character guys. And um, I think you, you kind of alluded to the, uh, these guys not being like Drummond. This is going to be a guy who runs the floor hard and uh, uses his body. So on offense, the things that I like is, he has really nice touch around the rim. And even though we talked in previous episodes, like uh, when we talked about Christian Wood, about how the league is kind of moving away from post offense, if it's an efficient shot, it's fine to take it. I don't want him chasing that shot and uh, making too much of it, but he seems to have the tools to make it a, a valuable shot. He has, he has really nice footwork and um, at six, nine, 250, 250 pounds and seven foot four wingspan. He has the body for it. And, uh, he takes full advantage uh, in the paint. So he's using a nice mix of footwork and brute force paired with uh, hook shots and lay-ins to score. Uh, he's kind of light on his feet. He's got really active feet, I should say. He's uh, he's not the guy who's kind of like playing slow and like lazy, I guess. 
he's very, very high energy, and uh, his interior game is pretty polished against college competition. But uh, we'll have to see how that translates to bigger, stronger NBA defenders. And then, even then, uh, I feel like it's a poten- like an upside pick. There's been talk that he spent the eight months off uh, focusing mostly on his shooting. Uh, he says that he has shooting potential, and he thinks that he'll be able to space the floor. He did shoot almost 80% on free throws, and uh, we've seen him demonstrate that he has really nice soft touch around the rim. Uh, at Washington, he only shot 25% on threes, just 20 attempts, but the jumper looks fine. You know, it's not broken. The form is fairly consistent. Uh, and that's probably going to be the biggest thing for him in terms of like what he can be. If he can space the floor, he becomes significantly more valuable. Uh, I know, I know me personally, I I'm really not keen on going back to the, uh, traditional centers. I, don't, I know you're the same way, but so that's going to be. Very, very important for him. Uh, and then on besides these things, he's just a really, really high energy and uh, effort guy. He sets good screens, uh, runs the floor really hard in transition, and he tries to beat people down the court and uh, establish really good post position. Uh, on defense, again, super high effort. Uh, he's uh, low center of gravity so that he can uproot his uh, the opposing bigs and deny post position. And oftentimes we saw him push his opponents like straight away from the basket uh, on pound dribbles, which is another thing. It's like the opposite of Drummond. He would take two dribbles and he would get no closer to the rim and then he'd just take, you know, a look away hook shot. Uh, Stewart is not like that. He pushes his way inside. Like, uh, and that's not as, it's not the easiest thing to do. He has to have good balance for that, so he doesn't get the chair pulled out from under him, and I don't think that's going to be an issue for him. Uh, other things I like, really good verticality and reaction time. Uh, he averaged, I think, two blocks at Washington, and uh, I think there's a good chance that he becomes the uh, – he kind of replaces Bruce as the, uh, the that fan favorite guy who plays with the really high-energy defense and uh, makes some of those plays. Uh as far as things that I don't like or things to improve, uh, he does need to add a little bit more offensive versatility. Uh, he's a bit of a ball stopper in the post, and he doesn't kick out or play much from the paint to the perimeter. Uh, and then other than that, we just have to see, again, uh, can he space the floor? Can he get uh, his three ball to an acceptable percentage on decent volume? That was one of the things that made Christian Woods so valuable. And uh, if, if uh, Stewart can do that for us, uh, he can maybe be a starting level center who, you know, you sign to a team friendly contract, you know, he never figures to be like that max level guy. He doesn't really have the bounce for that. Uh, but he's probably just going to be a culture and effort guy. And uh, the other thing that we'll be looking to see if he can do is uh, switch onto the perimeter. Uh, we've seen him switch, but Washington ran pretty much only zone defense. So he was pretty much always in the paint. Uh, the NBA is ball screen heavy, so we're going to have to see if he can uh, come out to the perimeter and uh, stop penetration from there. What do you think? I think well, I, I think it should be emphasized that traditional centers are not very valuable in today's NBA. You have centers just is just the undisputed least important position. Like basically, uh, you can easily punt on center these days as long as you have 
sufficient strength at the other positions. We saw the Warriors do it. Of course, the Warriors are an extreme example. They have just a tremendous amount of talent, especially Durant on the roster. Nonetheless, you don't want to... The reason this pick was a little bit of a reach was the possibility that he just turns into that traditional center. If the Pistons are going to get good value out of this pick, he has to become switchable on the perimeter, and he has to be able to shoot. Just as you mentioned, the ability to stretch the floor is, is super, super valuable in the NBA. This is one of the reasons why traditional centers have been just declining so rapidly. Like over the last three years, they have declined at a prodigious pace in terms of importance, value, and number even. Now, the other reason is that a lot of these lumbering, you know, big traditional centers cannot defend switches on the perimeter. Teams in the NBA right now, it's just part of it's just part of the standard offense that if you have a guy who's too slow, they run a pick, they get the proper matchup, and then the guard most of the time just obliterates you. And even if you block the, you know, even if you manage to get over, rotate somebody rotates over to protect the rim. I mean, it's going to open somebody up. So Stewart really needs those two things. He needs to be switchable on the perimeter. He needs to be able to shoot. If he can do both of those, like you said, he can be one of those really cost-effective starting centers you know, who can be a good piece on a good team, provided he's surrounded by guys who can create offense. Again, you could really punt on center and, and just pay somebody at a modest salary as long as you have enough talent at the other positions. So what I, what I like about him is a lot of what you like about him. I, I love that... He is, by all accounts, they're just the reviews have always raved about his work ethic. He's just an incredibly hard worker. He's super mature. He's all about his team. So you got to like that. <laughs> like I said earlier, it's, it's just it's such a contrast, for example, from, from Andre Drummond and, and players of that ilk. So it's, it's real refreshing. And I, I always, of course, like players, like players who are really hardworking and, and play for their team. So that's good. He's definitely got an NBA-ready body, 250 pounds and 6'9". He's pretty chiseled. I mean, he's, he's going to be very strong. He's going to be a very capable interior scorer, I think, uh, who, who will finish well through contact. Uh, he's going to be an active defender, but again, can, can he move his feet fast enough to not be a liability on the perimeter? That could be a thing. And also his vertical explosiveness is not good. I mean, he can run the floor, but vertically, he's not good at playing above the rim. And, and that's going to hurt him in terms of blocking shots and in terms of catching lobs. So what you got in him is you have a guy with a high floor, but just the trouble is that if, if he's at that floor, then the Pistons really made a bad pick at number 16. Like this, this draft is kind of weird in that a lot of centers got selected in the first round. It's weird because center just really isn't that important anymore. But if he only reaches that floor, the fact that he's a safe pick is irrelevant. You just picked a traditional big at 16, and that's not a good value. So I think he's got, as you said, he's got a decent stroke. I think he's got potential as a shooter. Uh, he did shoot on low volume in the NCAA, but all, that also just wasn't his role in Washington. He, he did most, he, he executed most of his offense from the post. In the NBA, you can have a harder time just because, you know, you're not going to be drastically bigger and stronger than the average person in the NCAA. Also, the NBA offense just run differently. If you want to be a high volume post player, you got to be real good at it. So, yeah, it'll, it'll depend on those two things. Like I said, switchability on the perimeter and the ability to stretch the floor. Uh, I, I've seen uh, some uh, some comps to, it's like, oh, this guy, you know, super hard worker, defense focus, you know, is this our next Ben Wallace? Uh, again, this is this is just, uh, you know, idle chatter I've seen from Pistons fandom. The answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ben Wallace, uh, you know, it, it should be emphasized, was a freak. The guy was unbelievably athletic. 
I mean, just even by, even by today's NBA standards, the guy was an, an incredible athlete. And he'd be a very good defender in the NBA today. Of course, the issue is that it would be that he's a, he's a, terrible, he's a terrible scorer. And that would keep him out of the ranks of the elite NBA centers today because that offense is important. You know, you can't be an elite center going in and scoring eight points a game and having really being a non-threat on the offensive end. Uh, but I digress. So uh, I was, I'm, I'm mom on the pick. I, I'm, I'm kind of ambivalent. I, I would have preferred to see it go to a wing player like maybe Josh Green because, you know, the Pistons at the end of the draft were still, you know, not very high on those guys who can play from shooting guard to power forward. And those that I think that just, it gives you better potential upside than a guy who might be a traditional big. So uh, moving on to Sadiq Bey, take him with the 19th pick. Take it away, Tommy. Yeah, so again, fits the uh, the Weaver archetype pretty well. His mother was a high school principal. He talked about how hard his, she pushed him in basketball and academically. Fits the high character thing. Uh, on offense, uh, the things I like is shooting. I think he shot 45% in his sophomore year from three uh, at Villanova. Great percentage high volume and I think five and a half threes per game. And uh, he played really well in within the Villanova offense. Uh, he made, he demonstrated the ability to make the extra pass. It's really good on the kick out. Um, he did the bulk of inbounds passing, which is just something that I noticed uh, watching him play. It was like, I think it just shows a lot of trust from his coach. Um, there are, things to improve on. I mean, that, that three ball alone is going to give him a spot in the league. I know he's like 6'8", 216. He's got good enough size to play the three. Uh, but I'd like to see him expand his game a little bit more. Uh, one of the things I noticed, he's just not very aggressive. And uh, when he catches the ball, there's like a moment of hesitation where it seems like he's trying to decide what to do. Uh, he's not the most athletic guy in terms of his burst or – attacking the hoop. So it seems like he's deciding whether he's going to be able to finesse his way to the hoop or if he should just pull up. Uh, so he needs to sharpen that decision-making and then probably improve his perimeter footwork and uh, handle so that maybe he can drive inside. And if he's not going to power his way to the rim, maybe he can switch directions and just kind of maybe, I don't even know, Euro step his way. Uh, he needs to find a way to uh, become a, an attack point. Uh, because with his three ball percentage, he's going to demand uh, defenders play him close. So he already struggled to do that at the NCAA level. So I'd be surprised if he became a good driver in the NBA. Uh, maybe for now, he's just like that three and D role player. Um, and then he kind of telegraphs that he's out of the play. Uh, he doesn't sell his cuts off ball unless he's really going for it. But, uh, and then he doesn't set good off-ball screens. I'd like to see him try harder to get open. Uh, you know, a, a guy who's shooting 45%, you really want him to take more threes uh, because it's that's that's just an excellent shot. Um, if he can play on a team with spacing like, like he did at Villanova, I'd like to see him post up more. Uh, this was something that I didn't know about his game before, until I watched him. Uh, he can't take it all the way to the hoop. So what he would do sometimes is he would take it maybe two or three steps into the perimeter. And then he was really good at finding the open man. Uh, we saw a little bit of this from Griffin and not so much that he was like driving and then stopping and then passing it out, but he would 
turn around, post up, and then kick it out. So I would like to see him, if, if Griffin is still on the team, uh, come opening day. Uh, maybe that's something that he could learn. But really, like, the thing that most impressed me, even more than the 45% from three, was the defense. Uh, I, I knew he was, like, a good defender going in, but it was just very, very pleasant to watch. Like, he was always engaged. Uh, his head was always moving. Uh, he was guarding all the up and down the lineup. He was taking on the primary ball handlers, the guards, uh, all the way up to the bigs in some cases. His post defense was really good. He was getting low and pushing the opponents, his opponent, uh, denying position and keeping them out of the paint. And then he was he doesn't chase blocks. He just goes straight up with his contest. And that means that his block number is really low, but he's forcing really, really tough shots and uh, making it as difficult as possible. Uh, on the perimeter, on perimeter drives, he funnels his opponents and he turns them inward and pushes them into a difficult route under the hoop. So uh, if he was picking up somebody on the perimeter and they were starting to drive inside, uh, he'd angle his body, he'd angle them. He's very physical with it, and he just makes it so they can't take it all the way to the hoop. His footwork was great there uh it's not so much that he's trying to stop them or steal the ball away he's just trying to force the difficult difficult shot um and then on ball he was excellent at navigating screens he doesn't try to get in front of the ball he just denies the driving lanes and plays close uh and this leads again to the low steal count but he does not get broken down defensively uh, i also saw that he was very vocal in calling out assignments and switches when necessary uh that's another thing that again i don't think we saw a lot of from guys last year. Uh, it's just another, I think, underrated trait, uh, showing some leadership. And, uh, you know, you could really see that he was taking on a lot of uh, responsibility on the defensive end. And uh, in this game that I watched, like, if the if the ball handler got picked up by Bay, uh, they'd just try to get rid of the – they'd back up and they'd reset. Uh, they had tons of respect for Bay as a defender. And then I really liked that he stayed focused and trusted his teammates. Uh, there was one play where a perimeter player off the ball um, was driving, and he was trying to pull Bay away from his man in the corner so that he could kick it out for the three, and Bay just stayed stayed with his guy, and the play fell apart. Um, I feel like a lot of other guys would have just would have you know stepped away from their man, and that would have been a pretty good look from three. But on that play, it just resulted in a a really, really tough contested uh, like fallaway jumper near the basket. Yeah, no, I, I don't have any complaints here for him defensively. Uh, he's a great positional defender. He's probably going to be underrated because he has the low steals and uh, low blocks, but I feel like he could be a starting role player by the end of the year. Well, this was pre, uh, pre-signings, pre but I feel like he has that potential in him. If he had more bursts, I think he probably would have gotten taken – lottery um but i think this is going to be a guy that casey really likes and uh i hope casey has him moving a little bit more off the ball because i really would like him to chase more of his own three-point looks how do you feel i mean i like the pick at number 19 i think it's a very good value at number 19 he was a guy who i believe was expected to go considerably earlier by you know by people who do this for a living i suppose so I'm, I'm I'm satisfied that the Pistons are certainly satisfied with this pick. I, I think he's an NCAA, sort of guy in the NCAA who was very, very versatile at that level. 
You know, he could attack to a degree off the dribble. He was just a lot more talented than the average guy who's playing against. The issue with Bay, his his major disadvantage, I would say, and like you said, what kept him from being picked much higher is the fact that he's not explosive. He's not unathletic, but he's not explosive. He doesn't have that first step that's going to allow you to blow past somebody and, and leap toward the rim. So that's going to make him less versatile at the NBA level. He'll still be you know, a good, a good all-around player, but he's not going to be what he was with Villanova, which is the guy who's executing the majority of the offense. So I, I agree with pretty much what you've said about his strengths. Yeah, really strong work ethic, very good character, good IQ, strong fundamentally, a disciplined basketball player. Uh, he's not unathletic. Like I said, he's, he's, I don't know if you'd call it average or good enough on the athleticism scale. He's got a good wingspan. Responsible defender, you know, again, good IQ on that end. Should be reliable. He'll need to use his smarts in order to defend against the quicker guards who might get switched on to him. But I think he'll hold his own. He's a good shooter, obviously. High release points, quick release. He can easily get himself looks over shorter defenders. He can take some threes off the dribble, which is nice. Some pull-ups. Because that way you can just you can switch him onto a smaller guy and then you can basically attack him in isolation from the three-point line. And he can do some shooting around screens. Don't think about that like Speed Mikhailuk, for example, who despite well, Speed's actually fairly athletic. Uh, his issue is that he's got crocodile arms. And now he's not the in terms of lateral mobility, he's not good. His his issues on it with athleticism mostly come on the defensive end. But Svi is very quick. He can grab the ball around a handoff. And or just take, you know, he's not really taking around screens because he's not a very good ball handler, but he can grab a ball around a handoff and very quickly fire it, you know, right as he right after he goes around the screen. You won't really see Bay doing that quite as much. He can do it, but he doesn't have that degree of quickness. But I, I think nonetheless, it, it, he'll be a valuable NBA three point player, uh, excuse me, three point shooter. And any guy, I mean, if you can get a guy who can play defense, who can shoot threes, that's valuable, f- you know, just from the get go. Uh, he's got some other skills that might come into play. Like, you know, he's got half decent post moves and uh, he can he can do some shooting off the dribble. That'll be more difficult at the NBA level, though. you got much longer defenders. Uh, he does also have pretty good court vision. You know, he's got the ability to make some decent passes right out, off, off the screen in the pick and roll. And he's a fair overall passer who sees the floor. He will pass up a bad shot to pass to a teammate who's more open. That's valuable. A lot of these guys will just get the ball and they don't, uh, well, not so much at the NBA level. It's usually <laughs> these guys don't make it quite as much, but there are guys who will get the ball and will just shoot it because they have it without looking around to see what's going on. So I'd say he projects as a you know, fairly high quality role player. Uh, I think he's more likely to be a swingman, swingman off the bench ultimately than a starter. If he's a starter, he'd better be surrounded by guys who are more able at creating offense because just being unable to, to beat anybody off the dribble in the NBA is, you know, is an issue that's really going to limit any player. And again, it's just a product of his, his lack of explosiveness. I don't see him. He's a guy who, who you know, will cut to the basket and can take advantage of open lanes to score at the basket. But he's, he's not a dude who, who's just going to be taking the ball and beating somebody. But nonetheless, yeah, like I said, you have a guy who can shoot threes, yay. Uh, if he can do some, you know, some shooting off the dribble, yay. Guy who moves off the ball, yay. I mean, that's good. This is the 19th overall pick. That is that is not bad at all. Uh, this is, this is, I think, a very, very solid pickup and, and a good value. I think this would be a good value even, even in a, a draft of, of average strength. So I'm happy with this. 
Now, what's funny, of course, is that the Pistons could have picked Sadiq Bey at number 16 and Stewart at number 19, and we'd be talking about, oh, maybe it was a little bit less of a reach to, to, draft, it, to draft Stewart at 19, but, you know, just the, the point remains. Uh, anything else to add about Bay before we move on to uh, the mystery man, Seven Lee? No, don't think so. All right, so Seven Lee, uh, again, I don't know if I mentioned this before. This trade actually, uh, so this was, yeah, I, I forgot to mention this before, actually. So Seven Lee was brought on by way of taking on a salary dump from the Utah Jazz. At the Jazz at the 38th pick, they wanted to get rid of uh, Tony Bradley so that they could, uh, you know, make uh, an offer to, you know, within their means, I believe below the tax for Jordan Clarkson, which they did. So uh, Tony Bradley is of no use to the Pistons. He's, you know, he's, he's a guy who is decent as an interior scorer, but you can't defend at all. And if you can't shoot, you know, if you're a traditional center who can't shoot, you better be good at defense or you're not worth putting on the floor and he isn't. So uh, in any event, yeah, they took in uh, that uh, $5 million of cap hits and they sent over some cash considerations and quote unquote future considerations, which can really mean anything or nothing. So Lee is a uh, is a six foot two, you know, slots in his point guard may have better skill set for shooting guard. Uh, extremely athletic, very good leaper, explosive. Uh, he's very good at reaching the basket. In the NCAA, he thrived on on penetrating to the basket and drawing contact. He took an enormous number of free throws. Yeah, he really seeks out that contact, which is a good quality. Not a particularly good shooter. That may not ever be a good playmaker. He just doesn't really seem to have that vision. He looks to shoot. So he looks just largely like a high volume attempt guy rather than a real point guard. Uh, on defense, you know, he's undersized. It's, you know, 6'2 is small these days. He has a 6'9 wingspan. That's nice. I mean, that's nice also for scoring at the basket because, you know, that short wingspan just, you know, <laughs> makes it a lot of, just a lot more difficult. It makes it a lot, a lot more, a lot easier to block you. So that wingspan and, and his athleticism may help him compensate for that size. He just needs better focus. So I would say he projects as sort of a bench flamethrower if he develops a shooting properly. Uh, I think shooting guard ultimately might end up being his position. Not ideal given his size. We've seen guys make it work. If he's a guy who you can put on next to a real point guard and if he, if, you know, if he becomes a better shooter and so you get, he can shoot the ball or you just pass him the ball when he's got a good lane or he can beat a guy in isolation, you know, great. Undersized attackers can really still be useful. It just basically is what he can provide. Now, a couple issues I have with this pick. I wasn't really happy with this. By reports, Troy Weaver saw this guy as a first-round talent and was very happy to take him in the second round. However, it was really unclear before the draft if he was going to be selected at all. So it's possible the Pistons could have had access to him as an undrafted free agent, whether he would have signed with the Pistons instead of another team as anybody's guess, of course. And but there are just other guys on the board, guys like uh, like Woodard and Nawara and Hughes, who were guys who I think just maybe had more potential, or uh, I just think were just stronger picks that were still on the board at thirty eight. Uh, you probably could have gotten Lee, you know, in the late forties or early fifties. Again, this this guy was not really a, a sought after draft pick. You never know, but I think guys like the three I just suggested, they probably maintain value. Even if the Pistons decide, you know, whatever, we don't need you, they're, they're going to maintain some trade value. Hard to say that with Lee. 
And I'm not sure, to, you know, where the Pistons are right now. Like uh, before free agency ban began, I don't care about the salary. It's like, okay, 5 million. Well, the Pistons don't, you know, why not get an extra pick and taking on somebody else's salary? That's the idea. But at this point, it's like, you know, I'm not sure. In any event, it's worth noting that the trade hasn't been completed, which is a little strange because as, as far as I understand things, and I got a pretty good understanding of these things, there is nothing in the CBA that is stopping this trade from happening. I could be wrong there. I don't think I am. So who knows what will ultimately happen with it. Another thing about Lee that bothers me a little bit is that he reminds me a little too much of Jordan Bone, who was just released by the Pistons, uh, I think about a week and a half ago. He's off the team now. They didn't, they didn't extend him a qualifying offer. They're not identical players by any means. Like uh, Bone has crocodile arms uh, by NBA standards, whereas Lee actually has a pretty good wingspan. Uh, Bone, his, his primary issue, I think, was that he did, he did not do well attacking the basket. You know, it's a big problem. He wasn't really able to capitalize on that athleticism very much. He, he settled for just gaining separation and taking a, a you know, a pull-up mid-range jumper instead. And that's, that's not going to fly in the NBA unless you're very good at it. And I don't think bonus, you know, was ever going to be that good at it. And if you can't, if you're a point guard and you can't break down defenses, uh, you know, going downhill toward the baskets, you're much less valuable, much less valuable. Uh, you know, bones, you know, again, his short arms really didn't help with that. But both super athletic guys, undersized. Bone's a better shooter than Lee. You know, Lee's got some touch. We'll see. I don't see any reason, you know, any severe warning signs there. But it's basically you had a guy you took in the second round and you just took a flyer on him, super athletic point guard. He didn't work out. You release him and then you take another guy who's fairly similar in the second round, uh, you know, a week and a half later. So that's less of me thinking, oh my goodness, that was just an awful idea to release Bone and then draft this guy. It's it just makes me a little wary. But you know, it's it's obviously possible that uh, that the draft team saw is seeing something that that we are not. So, and and the thirty eighth pick, though again, this was probably a reach at, at the thirty eighth pick. You know, it's a second round pick, and you, you're happy if you get a good rotation player there. So you have any thoughts about Seven Lee? No, I think you hit pretty much everything. Uh, you know, he is he is what he is at this point. Uh, like I had uh, a lot more to say. I think there would have been a lot more to say about the potential fit and where these these players fit into the roster prior to the onset of free agency. I think a lot of things happened there that we did not expect. Prior to free agency, I would have thought that, you know, you have Hayes will be starting. I think he'll still be starting. And then presumably Griffin's still on the roster. And if he's healthy, he's starting a power forward. And, you know, who knows who you have at center. You just sign some, you know, some random guy, a veteran, ideally, to a small one-year contract to play at center. And you see how Stewart turns out. You play him off the bench and you see where he goes. And, you know, maybe he takes on that spot for a team that doesn't really care about winning. And you've got either Bay or Seku plays one of them, you know, provided that Seku is playing well enough. You know, he, he fell flat in his face at the end of last season, which isn't surprising. Nobody expected him to play at all. And he played pretty well in his first two weeks and then fell apart. Whatever. That's fine. I don't think I wasn't upset about it. I was more excited that he showed NBA potential early on than, than upset that a, that a kid who was, you know, for whatever it's worth, was the youngest player in the NBA and had been playing basketball for like six years that couldn't sustain that level of performance. Whatever. So I anticipated that that either he or Bay, one of them would start at the three, and the other one would get most of the tweener minutes off the bench. 
and then Lee is going on a, on a two-way contract and he'll almost certainly just be in in the G League for the majority of the year. Uh, though it's worth noting that the rules on two-way contracts actually have changed. It used to be that players could only spend a certain number of days with the team that included travel and practice, and they've changed that such that players can only play a certain number of games with the team. So that's that's just a, a, a nice change. It just and, and also just bear in mind the Pistons are going to have a G League team in Detroit next year. Like you, I'm sure. Well, for those of you who, who don't know this story, the Pistons asked the Grand Rapids Drive to move. They were they were the Pistons' previous G, uh, G League affiliate. The Pistons is not on the team because the Pistons want their G League team to be in Detroit so that they can benefit from the team's facilities, so they can benefit from the team's trainers, so that they can be more effectively scouted, and so that for home games they're going to be available. Period, rather than you know, all of this rather than having all this stuff two and a half hours away. And the drive said, no, we're establishing Grand Rapids. We want to stay here. So the Pistons went out and bought the Suns G League team and they're moving into Detroit. So, you know, conceivable, that means that we'll see more of uh, more time for the Pistons two-way players, though less now than I think we would have seen prior to, you know, what transpired in free agency. So that'll be it for today's episode. We will be back soon with a free agency review whenever it is that the Pistons stop making moves. Uh, Really no way to tell exactly when that's going to be. But uh, we'll be back sometime within the next week with another episode reviewing what the Pistons, at least to that point, have done in free agency. As always, want to thank you all for listening. We will see you next time.